You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. listening to the 3CR Gardening Show for another lovely Sunday morning. My name is Chloe Foster and with me today in the studio is Chloe Thompson, Sprout School founder and you'll find her on uh, social media as Been There, Dug That and Bronwyn Cole, Fruit Fly Coordinator for the Yarra Valley. Good morning and welcome to the studio on a bit of a frosty spring morning. It's fresh, isn't it, it, Chloe? It is fresh. (laughs) I drove Six. in when the moon was still up this morning. That was a bit oh, weird. That would have been a bit weird. Yes, the, the mornings have gotten a bit darker yes. this yeah. week with daylight savings. Yeah, for sure. I was driving down the freeway and watching some big, beautiful hot air balloons glide in. Obviously, probably going to land in like Darabin Parklands or somewhere like that. But I was hopefully. like, oh. hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> One was very close to a warehouse. <laughs> Yes, it was frosty this morning. Six degrees in yeah, your car. Yeah, six degrees, my car said, when I got in and I went, woo. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, little bit frosty for my liking too. Yeah, okay. But we'll move on. Um, Bronwyn, welcome back to the show. Thank you. We loved having you on earlier in the year. So we, or was it late last year? I can't remember now. Oh, it was, uh, it was just a while ago. Oh, just a little while just ago? Just the other day. <laughs> just the other day. Well, it's really nice to have you back on. Um Fruit fly is something that you are a bit of an expert in, but there's other things that you are knowledgeable on as well. So we'll cover lots of things this morning. Uh, And Chloe, it's great to have you back in the studio too. I'm not talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Got that echo back. (laughs) Yes. Um, Sprout School's back open for enrolments. Yeah, so spring Sprout School's back open and I'm really excited. Um, I think there's a real buzz in the air this spring. Maybe it's the bees. Maybe it is the bees. Tell us, for listeners that haven't heard of Sprout School before, tell us what it is. So Sprout School I created about a year ago uh, and it's an online, six-week online gardening course designed essentially to make you a better and more confident gardener. Um, Initially I thought it would really only appeal to beginner, beginner gardeners, but it's not. It appeals to gardeners of all different ages, all different Um, stages in life and all different levels of gardening as Mm. well. Um, I've had people say, I've had retirees, I've had young mums, I've had my age, sort of middle of life. Um, And everyone sort of comes at 
to me with that, you know, I, I want to learn more, which, I mean, is essentially what makes a good gardener, right? Mm. Yeah, that's you know? gardening. Exactly. And, and there's always new things. Always new things. Um, so we, we, I teach a lot of the foundational things and a lot of the time there's a lot of aha moments. Mm. So we talk about, you know, what is a fertiliser, what makes a fertiliser. We look at soil. I get them to actually play with their soil, which is pretty fun. Nice. We do all sorts of, you know, squishing soil, putting it in a jar and you shaking it up. You do the jar test? We do the jar Love test. Love doing the jar test. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is the jar test for people out there wondering? <laughs> so the jar test is essentially you take a um, you know a sample of your soil. Yep. Um, you can do it at any of the layers in the soil. Um, so if you see defined layers in your in your soil, you can pick one or two or yeah, three. Yeah, so you could take you a sample. With potting mix as well. You could yeah. do it with potting mix as well. Totally. Yeah, so you take a sample take from them. the top. Yep. Dig twenty or thirty centimeters and down. Take another one and take another sample. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you pop it in a jar with some water, maybe a little drip of dishwashing detergent, mm. give it a really hard shake and leave it for a couple of days to settle. And you'll actually see it separate into about three defined layers. So your clay, your silt and your sand in mm. that order. And then you can essentially measure those layers to work out whether you've got, you know, a clay loam, a sandy clay mm. loam, a clay, a sand. Yeah. So it's like a hundred-year-old test or something. It, it's Yeah. It's been around for a very long yeah. time. It's such an easy way to work out what your soil is yeah, made up of. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's really fun. It is. It's it really fun. It doesn't take long either. And it's, it's an eye-opener for people who say to me, oh, I've got a clay. And I'm like, a pure clay? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it is amazing over those couple of days because within the first 10 minutes, it does start to settle down. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's a fair bit of sand there. But then you're like, oh, why is the water all murky? So, yep. well, they're all the teeny tiny clay grains that yep. you can't see waiting to settle down. And once it settles after a couple of days, and if you leave it there for a few months, like I have sometimes, <laughs> you just forget it's there. Um, you just get these beautiful layerings and yep. of this dispersed and resettled soil. And that's. Yeah sediment happening exactly yeah all the good stuff yeah all the good stuff yeah so it's a load of fun to teach it's a load of fun to be part of the community and yeah if anyone feels like it's for them you can go on and check check it out at beentheredugthat.com easy yeah and it's been there b-e-a-n of course like the one you eat yeah like the one you eat (laughs) all the best garden puns with you chloe i know Do you cover much on pests and diseases? In yeah, Sprouts yeah, we do. We have a whole module on pests and diseases as well. Yeah. Um, I call it pest diseases and other annoying things. So yeah. we do look at weeds as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, and that's always a really helpful module for a lot of people. Yeah. Talking about um, fertilisers just before, I've been teaching a nutrition subject with uh, a group of Cert 3s this semester and it's been really fun. I was a little bit daunted at the start of the semester um, because pH spins my head out and soil and nutrition, it's very, very science. It's yeah. quite science heavy and, you know, there's a lot of chemistry involved if you really want to deep dive into it, but yep. you don't have to at, at Cert 3 For level. Sure. Uh, but it's been really fun running the trials that we've been doing, been running some quite strict um, potted trials with oh. some silver beet. So we've got a control where there's no fertiliser and then we've got a slow release and then a pot where we've only just given them sea sol. And a lot of people think sea sol is like the it and a bit fertiliser. <sighs> yep. The, you should see the growth. They've gone backwards yep. with just sea sol. Yeah. And um, students have been, yeah, a little bit mind blown because everyone, or they thought, and I think most people think that it's... A fertiliser. A fertiliser. Yeah. And, and a, a holistic... Yeah. 
fertilizer. Yeah, I get that all the time. So I've been fertilizing my garden with sea salt mm. and it still doesn't look very good. I'm like, well, you're kind of feeding it vitamin tablets, yeah. but not actually giving it a complete diet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even vitamin tablets. It's almost just a message for it to extend its own. Exactly. Yeah. To make more roots. And then it's like, crap, yeah. nothing's out here. No. Yeah. <laughs> I've used up all my yeah. energy. <laughs> Finding nothing. I feel like Birkenwells in the desert. Exactly. And I kind of use the vitamin tablet analogy for, you know, like if you're feeling a bit down or you're feeling like transplant shocked. Yes. You know, you you need a bit of Barocca. You need a bit of oomph. Well, I I But you can't live on it. (laughs) No. No, I call it Gatorade for plants. There you go. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's just not a holistic product. We would not be healthy if we lived on just that. Uh, Another... Another component I'd love to add to that trial, so they've just got the three, the control where it's potting mix with no fertiliser in it and those poor plants. Uh, I'd like to add a fourth where there's a slow release and sea salt being applied to see if there is a noticeable difference, if to see if sea salt adds that much more to plant growth. You might mm. need to get that company to sponsor your trial. <laughs> I shouldn't say sea salt. Uh, sea, seaweed I know we're solution. programmed, aren't we? Yeah, but yeah, we are. Liquid seaweed. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's the Band-Aid Kleenex brand of the it garden is, yeah. world. Yeah. 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 Maybe next time I, I run the subject, we'll add another another bit onto it because I'm actually quite curious to see. Well, you talked about pH. You could even look at the differences of the different pH mm. and then – how that affects the nutrient uptake, because that's another one that majorly affects your nutrient uptake. Huge. I am absolutely blown away by the effects of pH and nutrient availabilities and, and, and all that in, with plants and soil and how that's all connected. One of the other nutrition classes is actually running a, a pot, a, like a potted silver beet trial with and they've messed around with the pH in potting mix. Oh, nice. So we sort of had a, we've got a, a big bin of um, sulfur-enriched potting mix to make it really acidic. acidic yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and then they've added lime to another batch of potting mix to make and just sort of had it sitting there brewing, waiting for us to um, to plant up. And they're quite they're, – they're growing, the ones that have sulfur, they're growing better than the controls and and the sea salt and the seaweed ones, but they're quite yellow. Yeah. They're really yellowing off. Yep. Yeah. So I reckon there's probably a bit of root burn going on. Depends on when you went your sulfur in. I had a friend get a bulk load of potting mix from her local supplier and I went, you might want to pH test that. And she goes, how do I do that? And I was like, go down to your hardware, get your pH kit, do this, put it in. She goes, Bron, it's purple. Oh, <laughs> that's no. like 9.5. <laughs> Why? And it, it's the mushroom, mushroom compost, compo- yeah. com- component of it. Yeah. And it was probably so freshly made. But as a standard gardener, she had no idea. And we've probably saved her hundreds of hours, mm, hundreds yep. of dollars, mm-hmm. getting that potting mix correct before she puts that in her veggie garden this spring. Yeah. Yep. It's so important to check. So important. I, I went out for a one-on-one consult with a client um, who just had 16 beautiful veggie boxes made. And, you know, basically ready to plant. She'd had the soil brought in. She'd mixed it with some of her original soil as well, sort of Mm -hmm. when they flattened out the area for the veggie boxes. And I said, oh, have you pH tested yet? And she goes, oh, no, I don't have one of those. I said, right, well, when I leave today, you're going to go down and get one. So she did the pH and she sent me a photo and she's like, Chloe, it's yellow. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, my goodness. (laughs) It was like lime, yellow, chartreuse. It was, whoo. It would have bent everything. Yes. So, so very like, acidic. Very, very acidic. So I'm guessing you both were using the Manutech P 
pH. Yeah, I think that. that was the one yeah. that she got. Yeah, because yeah. that, that's the most common one you have, yeah. and the the colors on the chart are yeah. those colors that oh, you, there you just go. described. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So she had the opposite problem. She had really, really high acidity, which will be great for uh, you know some blueberries when she, if she wants some blueberries in a patch, maybe <laughs> yeah. not yeah. that low, but um, yeah. No, it, it's so important and, to the it, other. and it can change. You can put a heap of fertiliser on mm. and it makes it go acidic. You can do this, you can put sulphur in and it might take 6, 12 months, 18 months before it actually makes it more acidic. Who knows? But it's something to be so careful of. It's it's the 101 of gardening. Mm. Yeah, it's good, sure. the, um, the right pH. When Ben Brooker was in a few weeks ago, he was he's he's really up there on all the different nutrient availabilities of plants and applying particular um, fertilisers when you need it, but pH, yeah, plays such a huge role in nutrient availability. And, yeah, you, your nutrients could be there. Yeah. They could all be there in yep. the right amounts, but if your pH is yellow, purple, acidic, <laughs> alkaline, well, there's the plants can't access it because those nutrients essentially become bound, immobile. Yeah, bound up in the soil. Yeah, so in the soil, and they can't access it. Yeah. It's just absolutely incredible. I've had, yeah, I've had so much fun teaching this nutrition class. <laughs> Yeah. Talking about all the different fertilisers. Yep. Yeah, it's for been sure. amazing. Well, we must say good morning to our listeners again. You are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster, and in the studio with me this morning, I have Bronwyn Cole, a fruit fly coordinator of the Yarra Valley region, and Chloe Thompson, Sprout School founder and horticulturalists. I'm going to open up the phone lines now if you want to join us. Uh, ask us any garden-related question and we'll try our very best to answer it. The number is 94190155. If you want to text in, our text number is 0488809855. Now, we can't accept photos via the text line, so if you do have a garden conundrum and you want us to have a look at a photo, you'll have to email it to us. And our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. We're on Facebook and Instagram under the 3CR Gardening Show. And if you missed any shows and you want to catch up, you can catch all the 3CR Gardening Show episodes on whatever podcast app you listen to. Chloe, you brought in some pretty plants. I did bring in in some pretty plants, yes. Now, my whole garden smells like this beauty at the moment. I can't smell it. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You're deprived, Chloe. So I'm holding up brown baronia and my whole garden smells like brown baronia at the moment. It's just magic. So genetically, some people can smell it and some people can't. Yeah. My sister can't smell it, but I can. Yeah, my dad can't smell it. Can you guys smell it right now? Yeah. My whole car smelled like it. Right. It's not as strong as the one in my garden, but I can smell it. I reckon it's less strong as soon as you pick it as well. I don't know. It seems more strong. On, on the bush. A lot of people struggle to grow baronias. How yes. do you do it? In a pot. Yeah, perfect. Yep. In a pot. Dry feet. Yep. Yep, dry feet. Um, and they seem to sort of like that dappled afternoon shade. Dry feet, mm. dappled afternoon shade, rather than full-on too hot afternoon, yeah, okay. shade, uh, mm. afternoon sun. They usually are sort of forest understory plants. Mm. They don't really grow out in the open, so yeah. that makes sense. That does make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, no, I love it. The, if you can smell it, 100% pop it in your garden. I can appreciate the look and the aesthetic of the bronies. <laughs> if I shove my nose right into the flower, I can get a little I get a little scent. Yep. But that, I think there it. are some varieties that are more 
more aromatic yeah. than others. Oh. So I think it's finding the right variety too. Oh, there you go. Right. I do like the foliage. Like a lot of them have scented foliage. Yeah. So true. I usually just, you know, appreciate the foliage. Yeah. One of my favourite cultivars is one called Purple Jared. Okay. And it's the most beautiful colour of purple. Ooh. It's so bro- vibrant. Nice. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, speaking of purple, <laughs> I did also bring in a prostranthra that's in full flight at the moment. Oh, this is stunning. like an electric magenta colour. Um, and I've got three or four of these bushes and they just look stunning at this time of the year. Yeah. Um, they get so heavy with their flowers and with the rain they all droop and, yeah, it just look really pretty. They're beautiful. And, of course, the foliage smells delightful as well. And they're growing again. Have you got them in your garden? Yeah, I've got you're these on in very the challenging soil at your I place. I am. I'm pretty much on a cliff, like on a mountain. Yeah, a clay <laughs> 33 mountain. degrees slope. <laughs> yeah, clay mountain. Tiny bit of topsoil. I joke that most of it's over the road at my neighbour's house. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I'll just come and get my topsoil. Um, but these grow in a raised bed. So one of the um, sleeper raised beds that was obviously created when they cut the house out of the side of the hill. Mm. Um, and they're happy out. They've got the free draining because of the, the raised bed and they're huge now. They're, yeah, they're lovely sort of hedging plants that have a lovely smell to them. I, plant, I like planting smelly things near the edge of a path mm. yep. so that as you walk past it, you just naturally run your hand across it or you brush it with your shoulder and you think, oh, that's nice. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And the prostanthra come in a whole range of sizes as they well. Do. There's, there's a ground cover species, prostanthra yep. denticulata, up to large shrubs. and. Yep. All different. And there's different sort of shades and flowers and, yes, very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a really pink – there's a pink version. Yes. Rosea. I've seen that I one. I love it. Yeah. It's stunning. Yep. But, yeah, they're such a fantastic, useful plant. And so hardy. So hardy. Very. Yeah. And if you've got it growing in your challenging soil, even though it is in – um, in, your, in a raised bed, yep. they're doing pretty well. Exactly. Yes, they're doing pretty well. <laughs> uh, now, I have community announcements. It's not very much today, uh, but that is okay. If there's any, I'll put the call out. If there are any local um, garden clubs out there and you've got events coming up that you would like us to promote, please email them through to us. Um, the email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. Any events that you've got coming up that you want to promote, please um, send us through the details uh, and we'd love to chat about it uh, on the show and uh, help you build your audience and build your numbers in your events. I've had a we, – we, we're very lucky that Open Gardens Victoria are so generous with us. Um, over the next couple of weeks – Sorry, next weekend, excuse me, over two days, uh, they've got three gardens open. So 15th and 16th of October, um, three gardens. So Acacia Ridge uh, is in Donvale. Um, It's it's quite a large garden, uh, woodland, fern gullies, Mediterranean walks and perennials. There's always something around every corner. Uh, Philip Johnson uh, worked with the owner Coral a few years ago to add a new stream and a billabong that flows into what was their existing pond and then now into a boggy garden. There's a rainforest bushland um, at the stage of becoming a self-sustainable ecosystem. So this is Acacia Ridge in Nine Glenwood Close in Donvale. Uh, King Garden on Two Baker Parade, Ashburton, is a suburban block that's designed to have spaces for the entire family. Um, it's a very modern sort of garden to complement the modern look of the house, curved seating, timber decking, 
um, with lots of soft plants to harden those um, landscaped surfaces. So that's King Garden in Two Baker Parade, Ashburton. The third garden that Open Gardens Victoria have next weekend is, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, Uccello Lane in 28 Sweeney's Lane, Eltham. So that's U-C-C-E-L-L-O. So it's a garden inspired by Edna Walling. Jenny, the owner, has created a garden um, with the typical Edna Walling style of garden rooms with perennials, a birch forest, um, wisteria columns, and a secret garden and much more. So it's a very young garden um, and they want to show off um, what a beautiful young garden can look like and um, give some people inspiration. So the gardens are open from 10am till 4.30pm on the 15th and 16th. So that's next Saturday and Sunday. $10 entry for adults, $6 for students and under 18s are free. You can pre-book your tickets by going to the Open Gardens Victoria website, um, but you can also pay on the day. Some of the gardens have card facilities, but some of them don't. So that's Acacia Ridge in Donvale, King Garden in Ashburton, and Uccello Lane in Eltham. The other awesome bit about this is we have one double pass for our listeners for each of these gardens. So call 94190155. And um, try to get your little hands on a double pass for one of these gardens. Uh, Rose is ready to take your calls, so go for it. 94190155 for those three gardens. Go. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of events, Chloe, I'll be out at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair in early November. I'm going to have a stand about Queensland Fruit Fly, and joining me on that stand will be the Urban Plant Health Network team. And I'm having some other guest presenters there to come and um, help you identify your garden pest and help you work through a solution that might be something that you can do and take on board. That is fantastic. So come out to the plant fair November 5 and 6, I think, at the Yarra Valley and come and see me at the Queensland Fruit Fly Tent. Yeah. And bring with you your encyclopedia of knowledge about your garden. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because... There's so many things going on in our gardens that we've not seen before. Something might be new. You might not know the answer to something. Come and come and pick our brains and yep. see if we can help you identify your pests in your garden. Oh, Bromwen, that, that sounds absolutely awesome. Um, where do we start? All right, so let's start on fruit fly with you. No worries. Um, it is one of your areas of expertise and it is a an upcoming pretty major potential issue for our gardens in suburban and sort of wider areas. It is. And I've only become an expert on it just out of pure necessity. Yeah. When I was a little tacker, I grew up on the orchard with my grandparents and my parents. And I was asking my grandpa why we needed to not bring our fruit into certain areas when we're traveling. My grandpa said, oh, you don't need to worry about it. It's Queensland fruit fly. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Huh? Well, if I don't need to worry about it, why are we doing that? Because I asked a lot of questions when I was a kid. I still do now. <laughs> and he said, it's too cold down here. And he, and he left yeah. the conversation. Yep. And that's all that ever was. Yep. And uh, I did some fruit fly, sorry, not some fruit fly, some insect scouting for work experience when I was in high school. And Linda House took me out part of the crop watch program and showed me all the beneficial insects in the, all the different orchards. I am never going to do this. This is so boring. (laughs) I want a job where I can talk to people, not walk around orchards and look at insects all day. 
and uh, done my agricultural science degree and had a family and worked in different horticultural businesses. And then, then there's this problem that's emerging in the Yarra Valley. We, we need someone to tell everyone else about Queensland fruit fly. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty easy because we don't have it. <laughs> and little did I know. Well, when I started work, we didn't have it and we had a fruit fly free campaign. We were working really hard to keep the Yarra Valley fruit fly free. Mm. But it's in Melbourne, it's in northern Victoria, and it has encroached on the Yarra Valley. And mm. our program has turned into an emergency response program. Mm. So we're, we're not a um, we're not dealing with an exotic pest. Yep. But we're dealing with an exotic pest. So the the Yarra Valley is treating it like it's exotic, and we've done really well at it. I mean, it's not a problem in the Yarra Valley, mm. but it's a problem everywhere else. And so if I can help other regions deal with Queensland fruit fly. Hit me up with your questions. Where do we start? Yeah, mm. yeah. I'm, I'm. It is in Melbourne, and I know quite a few people that do have issues with it. So please give us a call today if, um, if you want to chat about um, your particular situation. Um, but like we were talking earlier, um, it's a community awareness is one of the best types of controls that we can implement. Yeah. If your neighbour's got it, yeah, you've got no chance. Yeah. 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 And I think you need to reiterate, it's not just Melbourne and people thinking it's the fringes of Melbourne. Oh, it's, it's the outer east. It's, it's, it's the outer east. It's Darabin. It's, it's Fairfield. In, it's Nillimbic, Werribee. Yeah. It's the suburbs. It's in the suburbs. It's, it's yeah. wherever there's room to have the host, which is yeah. a fruit tree or yeah. a fruit plant. Fruiting or a, plant, yes. Or a, a fruiting vegetable like a, a tomato or a capsicum, yeah. which we call veggies. Yep. Technically can, fruit. Can, can we get that right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Botanically, they are fruits. Yes, yep. botanically, they are Well, they're fruits. actually a berry. I think a tomato is technically a berry. Oh, goodness, yeah. And a strawberry's not a tree berry. Yeah, a strawberry's anyway, not a tree berry. That's a whole other and botanical lesson. Yeah, it's a tree, yes. it's a herb. Where's, where's Ange? <laughs> yeah, I know. Where's my friend Ange when you need it? Um, yeah, so it will get into basically anything that we grow in our garden that is, has, has a fruiting body on it. It'll yep. even get into rose hips and the lily pillies on your lily pilly hedge. They're yep. really broad spectrum feeders and we you know you sort well, of talk about they're actually feeding. Well, yeah. They're breeding in it. Yeah. Yep. So they feed on microbes and funguses and yeasts in the garden as they would on the forest floor in a daintree forest in the Queensland. Yeah. But it's the fruiting body becomes their it's it's their delivery suite. Yeah. It's where they lay their eggs. Yep. Yeah, of course. So that's it's the host by talking about their habitat, mm. what we provide them. Mm. So you've got a really wide host range. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. it. Yeah. They're not fussy where they lay their eggs no. necessarily. Look, when no. they've got to go, they've got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have seen them get stuck into some absolutely beautiful peaches and you think, oh, yeah, this fruit looks all right. And then you peel it open. It's the biggest just, deception, isn't it? Oh, yeah. truly. And there's just little maggots yep. wriggling around <sighs> everywhere. It's awful. My grandpa always used to say to me, what's worse than finding a maggot in your peach? A half eaten yeah. <laughs> maggot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it's I just... think there's a caterpillar in the apple because <laughs> Queensland fruit fly is too cold down here. <laughs> Little did he know that uh, it would be warm enough down here. Yeah, exactly. And I think Queensland fruit fly has become a problem in southern Victoria for, for very well quite a few different reasons. There's less controls available because there's so many harsh chemicals that have been taken off the market mm. because they're marked as dangerous for human health. And if they're dangerous for human health, they're probably dangerous for everything. Yep. You know, all the good insects as well. So they're, they're off the market. They're not used anymore. Because there's fruit fly in northern Victoria, the whole of the state of Victoria is considered to be established in Queensland fruit fly. It's not treated 
as an exotic pest anymore, so therefore we have less um, red tape bringing importing fruit into Victoria. But there's still responsibilities and, and ownership of the problem, but there's less red tape. Mm. We've got um, the community of fruit fly or the population of fruit fly in northern Victoria building up and, and showing resilience to the, the Victorian weather. So that makes them stronger as a population. And we've got more people movement. Mm-hmm. So we've even got maybe you could say climate change or wh- whatever it is that's happening, the insects are more tolerant of Melbourne weather. Mm. Yeah. And so we've got more risk, more survival chance, so we have more fruit fly problem. Yeah. We, we have to acknowledge that and get on with it and start protecting our fruit and veggies that we grow. Yeah. Mm. And it's that surge in home gardeners as well who are doing beautiful things. Oh, you're helping them, buddy. <laughs> yeah. No, I do make sure I explain <laughs> Queensland Fruit Fly. No, but beautiful things. Like at, at my local um, community hub, we've got the seed table, we've got the free food table. It's amazing. And, you know, I've been down there and there's been mushy, disgusting fruit oh. that have been full of maggots. I stopped a lady at, at uh, over at Hearst Bridge. She'd put some grapefruit yep. on the, the crop swap or the share table. Yep. And then she came over and asked me uh, about her thick skins on her grapefruits. And I went, well, that's probably the least of your problems. They're crawling with maggots. And she was like, <laughs> oh. So she raced and got them off the crop swap table because sharing fruit yep. is one of the vectors or how it, how it gets from my garden to yours. Yep. So actually being aware of what it is and knowing how to stop it is our best defence. Mm, yeah. And I think it's probably the fact that so often it doesn't look affected from That's the outside, right. which, you know, yeah. it was it innocently plays with your done. Head. Yeah. Innocently done. And yeah. it was done with all good intentions to share your, share your fruit. Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. What can, what can we do to try to minimise the spread? Well, if you've got it, it needs to be cleaned up. It needs to be treated by freezing or boiling yep. so that the larvae and the fruit don't get to become adult flies Mm. and breed again. So Mm. that's your first responsibility. Once you've boiled it or frozen it, sealed bag, pop it in the bin. Yep. Because unless you've absolutely done that freezing or boiling to the nth degree, Mm. you don't know that you've got them all. So it's better to to kill as many as you can in that freezing or boiling treatment and then pop it in the bin. Yeah, you don't want to be putting it back into your compost. You don't want to be putting it back into your compost and you certainly don't want to be putting something that's slightly suspect or could be straight in your compost. That's yeah. that's exactly where it's going to continue its life yeah. cycle for mm. those listening at home, for those playing the game. <laughs> so the, e- the even life, if... The um, life, I was going to say the life cycle goes through that soil part or that compost part as a pupa. yeah. Larvae change to pupa and the pupa changes into the fly. So the adult fly, sorry, it lays its eggs into, let's go life cycle for a second to refresh my memory. Yep. The, um, the adult lays its eggs into the, the fruiting body. Into the fruit of the plant. Yes. Those hatch into little maggots. Yep. They eat the fruit from the inside out. Correct. What happens after that? Well, as that fruit falls to the ground those larvae realise that there's not good environment here, they've got to get out because they need to be able to um, go into the soil or a dry crack in some timber somewhere and pupate. Mm. And so they need a period of time in that warm, dry, stable atmosphere and uh, they're able to then 
change. It's a bit like a caterpillar changing into yeah, a butterfly, but not, yeah. as, not as beautiful in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and then they are able to get out of the pupa case and within um, a few days they're feeding outside on, on all those microbes in the, in the garden and within 10 days they're breeding again. Yeah. So that whole life cycle can be as little as about 30 days. And is that temperature, do they slow down in winter? They do. Yeah. They slow right down in, almost into a diapause mm. and then that's when they um, start to move again in early spring. So about now people should be on the lookout for the, the re-establishment of the, of the fruit fly. A potential question that people might be thinking is, oh, could I put that boiled, frozen, um, treated. treated material into my FOGO bin that gets hot composted? The standard line is no, yeah. but with that reassurance that you've done it absolutely properly, it's on you. Mm. It's on you to be mm. the responsible party there. I, I know that composting is a really, really important, um, I don't say pastime, but, but behaviour and, and pattern and, and action that people mm. do. So um, I can only suggest that you make sure it is 100% thoroughly frozen or the problem will come back to you. Mm. Mm. You are listening to 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and I have Chloe Thompson and Bronwyn Cole in the studio with me. We are talking about Queensland fruit fly, which is an, uh, a rising issue for a lot of gardens and farming areas around Victoria. Um, if you have any questions about that or anything else, give us a call on 94190155. Um, I teach Diploma of Horticulture and the Pest and Disease subject in that course. We've got fruit fly infestation in our orchard in Fairfield. I just said that on live radio. Um, <laughs> Owning it. You can't have to own it. Don't own don't it. It's ashamed. a really great learning experience. <laughs> totally. It's all for the children. It, I'm not children, the students. It's, it's all for the students. It is all for the students. It's a live demonstration. One of the, uh, one of the assignments that they have is a management report on the Queensland mm-hmm. fruit fly. What are some control measures that can be implemented. So, yes, there's the community awareness and destroying the fruit. What's some other things? Spraying doesn't really work. No, prevention's the best cure here. Yeah. In, in your case where you've got the fruit trees there, I'd be looking at fruit fly netting. Mm. Now, that's it's got to be done really well. It's a significant investment, yes, but it is an investment that will last the life of that fruit tree mm. and it's the only thing that's going to prevent Queensland fruit fly and many other insects, mind you, coming in to destroy your crop. Mm. Yeah. So um, we've tried all the traps, all the baits. They are part of the Yeah, I was going to ask you about the pheromone traps. Yeah, they're all part of the solution. Yeah. But at the end of the day, traps and bait are not going to be 100% effective at protecting your crop in such a built-up suburban area mm. when your neighbour's not controlling it. Mm. Because you could put all of that stuff out and it's as effective as spraying, spraying fly spray in your kitchen to get rid of that annoying fly but leaving the kitchen door open. Mm. You, you're just going to get another one in so you'd have to keep treating. So if everyone did the area-wide baiting, you'd have an answer. Or if someone's producing a crop in an isolated area where they can control a huge area of land, that's where baiting really works. And baiting does work in the built-up areas if everyone does it. Mm. But that's where that community action comes together. It's like, right, well, our whole block, our whole town, our whole suburb, our whole side of the creek, we're all going to do this. Yep. And they showed some really good trials over in um, Eltham last year, year before, where they tried baiting one side of Eltham. So the council 
did that. They mm-hmm. worked with some um, money for Jobs Victoria, the CMA, and they worked with some of their environmental sustainability team and they showed that putting the bait out is, is very um, costly. Like it's it's a big investment of mainly time. Yep. But that it's possible that it can be done and it has been done in, ter- in areas of Queensland as well where the whole township's been, been baited. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to have to look at how we best use fruit fly netting to protect our crop. Yeah. And you know what? I'll give it a tiny plug, but what was it, two years ago now I made that video for Darabin City Council? So if people just go onto YouTube and search Darabin City Council Queensland Fruit Fly. Yeah, it's, it's on the Nellenbeck uh, Council website Exactly, it's as on well. the Nellenbeck Council website as well. Um, but there's essentially, I made a series of videos, or it adds up to about an eight or nine minute video, yep. um, which takes people through the life cycle, how to properly net your tree, because there are a few tricks to get the netting on and off and yep. in the most effective way. Yeah, just watch that little video. It explains it all really well. And then I those videos will be linked back to your website, Bron, as well, I'm fairly sure. They can sure. go back to our website. They can go to the AgVic website, which is quite extensive on the management mm-hmm. of Queensland Fruit Fly. And there's there's lots of other people around, like yourself, Chloe, independent people that have really embraced all the different things about Queensland Fruit Fly and how to manage it. But at the end of the day, your listeners, they're, they're here today. They, they want to know how to prevent it. Mm. Netting. Yep. Yeah. Don't, don't bring fruit from say a Queensland fruit fly area home don't don't bring it to your backyard and throw it in your compost that's the worst thing you can do is introduce it to an area so if you haven't got it make sure you don't get it Mm. so if you if you do get given some fruit uh, take it to your kitchen in in the bucket or the basket or the plastic bag that it's in and and cut it up and look at it in your kitchen where you've got those options of freezing and boiling right next to you and you've got your rubbish bin right next to you and and process it Mm. yeah don't put in the compost. <laughs> no. And one of the other big culprits I remember you telling me about when you first introduced me to Queensland Fruit Flight, one of the other big culprits is either community or street fruiting trees, but then also fruiting trees in people's backyards where they, they, they don't want them. You know, yeah. oh, that peach tree, it's got crappy fruit. I actually don't like it. We'll get rid of it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's basically a, like a little host for all the Queensland Fruit Flight because you don't like the fruit, so you just yep. leave them. Mm. Yeah. So between... Feral trees on the side of the road, apples, plums, whatever else is growing there, between blackberries and creek lines yep. and forest and wherever else blackberries grow, any train lines. Yeah, mm. anywhere, <laughs> anywhere, basically. Yeah. Even farms, you know, yeah. we all have blackberry threat. They'll host fruit fly in February, well, in that fruiting season. Yeah. So um, if you don't want a tree, if you don't want the fruit on the tree, have a look at taking that tree out, bringing it back down to a manageable size. So mm. either either manage it or get rid of it. Yep. In northern Victoria, they have had such a successful program in taking fruit trees out of people's backyards. Right. So people are volunteering. Oh, I've got an orange tree that I don't know. I've got a lemon tree, I have a peach tree, I have a plum tree. <laughs> and they have a program where it's paid for. Mm. They have it chipped, removed and chipped. So yep. they don't have to look after it anymore. It's, it's and that's very before successful. it gets infested, but it's a tree that the person, that gardener hasn't used or they don't, it's an no, old tree. That they well, don't. Northern Victoria have had fruit fly problem for a few years now. Yeah. And people are either overwhelmed with it, totally over it and yeah. don't want it anymore. Their circumstances may have changed and they can't deal with it anymore or they weren't dealing with it in the first place. So their tree removal program as part of their work, that's out of the same program that I work for in the Yarra Valley, they're, they're removing trees. 
Mm. Now, that, that's not gardening to me. Yeah, it sounds like the opposite solution, <laughs> no. really. But. but that's where they've got to mm. because they haven't prevented it or haven't been able to prevent it in the years prior. Yeah. We've got this fantastic opportunity, particularly in the Yarra Valley, where we can prevent this. Mm. We won't have to remove our trees mm. if we look after what we have. It's, it's doing that garden maintenance. It's going to join into gardening communities so that you know how to best look after your, what you've got in your garden or what you're going to put in your garden. Yeah. And it's, it's having that mindfulness in your gardening of, of all pest and disease. Otherwise it will. You know, your citrus gall wasp, your coddling moth and your light brown apple moth, it'll, it just goes from one yard to the next. Yeah. So that gardening mindfulness is huge. Um, a colleague of mine, Jessica Lai, has actually written a book on mindfulness in, in the garden. Oh, how nice. Oh. So it's, a, it's a, I think, a, a short short book, but we'll, we'll have copies of it available at the, at the Yarra Valley Plant Fair if anyone wants to come and get one. Fantastic. Uh, if people want to... Well, they have a tree that is infested and they want to remove it or it's a big tree and they can't net it. There's so many dwarf varieties of fruit trees that are available now that you can still get a huge fruit seed or harvest yield from. It's a great solution. Yeah, and, you know, a a one by one and a half metre peach tree or something. It can be as productive as your old-fashioned eight-foot tree. I've got a small Maya lemon in a pot and I got like 52 lemons off it last year. Yeah. Yeah. I had One a week, so. <laughs> yeah. I had they're all in sort of a clump because of a male lemon. But anyway. <laughs> I, I had a dwarf peach in my old place and the fruit that I used to get off that was I, I had stewed fruit in the freezer for most of the year. Yes. There was that much fruit. Yeah. yeah. So Once I got the curly leaf a, under control. <laughs> a dwarfing variety of a tree. Yeah. The rootstock that it's on, they're naturally going to produce more fruit. Yeah. That, that's how they work. That's their genetics. Mm. So that's why a lot of orchardists have actually got semi-dwarfing rootstocks in their orchard. Mm-hmm. It's actually more productive. And mm-hmm. as a colleague of ours says, we're, we're here to grow fruit. We're not timber millers. Yeah. We're, we're here <laughs> yeah. to grow fruit, not wood. Yeah. That's <laughs> so true. Such a good analogy. Thanks, yeah. Colonel, if you're listening. <laughs> Well, you are tuned in to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and I have Chloe Thompson and Bronwyn Cole in the studio with me this morning. We've just been talking about Queensland fruit fly. Um, we have had a listener call in uh, asking about her Echium pride of Madeira uh, has a total lack of bees and is wondering why there's no bees hanging around. I'm just wondering, is there, has it started to flower yet? Yeah. Maybe the flowers haven't started to open that's unusual. It is unusual. Because the bees are very active in my garden. I've brought in a piece of philotheca and that's this philotheca, you can almost hear buzz. Mm. Um, yeah, so maybe the flowers just aren't completely at that point. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> that- it is only in the last week or two that I have noticed them starting to open. That's yep. in inner city Fairfield. It's a bit warmer. Yep. I don't know where this listener is. If they're a bit further out, maybe maybe they just haven't started fully opening yet. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. If you have any questions for us, give us a call on 94190155 or you can send in a message via the text line and the number for that is 0488 I will make one um, very quick uh, call out or announcement. We need new producers to the gardening show. If you want to get involved, um, we're, we're nice people that come in on Sunday mornings and we go out for coffee afterwards. Um, now, if you want to get involved with the show, um, we need new producers to help keep me in line behind the desk here, uh, take the calls and put caller information through to us. 
um, in the studio. It's We train you up for it. It's actually really fun um, and it's not too hard. Um, so so please uh, send us an email, gardening at 3cr.org.au if you are interested. You could also just call up today and give Rosie, our producer, we could chat to Rosie about the um, about the, her, her job that she does. Um, or you can leave your number with us and, and I can give you a call during the week or something like that. Sounds so, good. Yeah, we need some help. Oh, absolutely. And you are. You're such a fun team, really easygoing. Um, and you make even the presenters that come in and the guests and things feel very much at ease. So well done. Oh, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> I do try. <laughs> I've learnt something every time I've come in, so that's good. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. Um I, I I love being a part of the show. It yeah. is so much fun. I get to speak to other fellow nerds, even though it is on a Sunday morning. So yeah. it's just <laughs> it's just a really fun thing to be a part of. Talking gardening in general is just fun. It's just yeah. a buzz. Yeah. Yeah. And this this gardening show has been around for forty years. Like wow. Yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a guardian of the gardening show. That's you know, amazing. there's people have been part of this before us and there'll be people I hope if we keep running and if yeah. we get our producers that We'll, we can just keep the show going. That's so. an amazing community resource to be able to tap into yep. free advice. Exactly. By picking up the phone. Where can you do that these days? <laughs> I know. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, if you want to get involved, please, um, please contact us. Mm. We'd love to have some new people a part of the team. Yeah. Now, Chloe, you told me something pretty exciting when oh. I came in this morning. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, Chloe, Chloe, I bought a house. I bought my first house yesterday oh, at auction. I bought my first garden, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think my first question was, what's the garden like? <laughs> it was. Oh, I want to know where the champagne is. <laughs> she said she's already had a champagne. <laughs> yeah, so I have a new garden. I'll be in a new garden by Christmas time and I'm oh. so excited. I'm already mentally planning out where I can put new plants. Have you done your soil shake test? <laughs> I should have done that after the auction yesterday. <laughs> just, you to stick in the here. front yard, the backyard. Yes. Uh, yes. So I'm very, yeah, it, it is exciting. It is. But yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm going to have a little garden of my own and I'm very excited to. Is it um, going to be a fruit garden, a flower garden, a native garden? It'll be a little bit wild and naturalistic <laughs> by the time I finish with it. But I, yeah, I want to get some, I want to try to get some a couple of dwarf fruit trees or something. Yep. Um, dwarf peach, but even the um, we were talking about them a couple of weeks ago. The the column shaped apple trees you can get. Yeah. I can't remember what they're called. I can't think of any um, of the column I, apple. I trees. think the, that's in the name. Is yeah, it? I think yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> there's a particular there's a particular cultivar. Emma Heard, if you're listening, please text me because she plants <laughs> them a lot. Um, yeah, so there's lots of um, lots of ideas flying around in my head at the moment, mm. which would be a, a thing that. You know, every gardener when they – well, it would be a sad thing, and it was from my last place. It was sad yeah. to leave the garden um, because it was an absolute saviour, especially in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, just loved looking after it. But it's definitely something to look forward to when you're buying a new place and Absolutely. all the things that you could do yeah. to it. Were you conscious of when you were buying, you know, okay, it's got a nice northerly aspect or, you know, I like that deciduous tree or were you conscious of the garden when you were looking for a house yeah, as well? Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't at the top of my priority sure. yeah. list. Getting a roof over my head was That's one of them. probably the most important. But the place that I bought, um, one of the perks to it is that it's got a really nice front yard and there's a little bit of um, space at the back where I'll be able to put a couple little one-by-one veggie boxes nice. um, and there's a few plants out the back yep 
um, and, and some stuff in pots that'll that'll be good out the back Amazing. of the little house too. Has it got, you know, good bones, so to speak, or is it like a blank canvas? No, it does I have good bones. I was more concerned about has it got good neighbours. <laughs> well, that too. I met the neighbours and they're lovely. Yes. Oh, one so. Of the, so the one neighbour on one side has the most beautiful native garden, big gum tree. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited about that. And she's got some stunning isopogon, bright purple coneflowers wow. in her front garden, a philotheca too, like the one that you brought in. Yep. Um, I can't remember what else <laughs> saw but it was I met her and she was lovely we go for the same football team as well oh, <laughs> so that's great you'd be swapping produce before you know it yes yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah amazing yes that's really exciting I'm gonna have a new garden yeah there's some beautiful roses in the front too so Ooh. yeah I have an idea at the front to do something a little bit more nat- native and naturalistic but I'll, I'll keep the roses because I do I do love them yeah I do love them. It's nice to mix things up as well. Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. Yeah. You can totally mix everything. There's a little dwarf box hedge clue, and I'm uh, I'm probably going to rip that. They're not my favourite. I think yeah, they're not my favourite. They I, have a place. They absolutely mm. they absolutely do. Just you like your garden. Parties in No, yeah, they absolutely have a place. Yeah, um, but if that's your style, if that's your style, totally. um, you can be. Like topiary, amazing. Yeah. Partiers, that oh. sort of formal pruning. Yeah. They're perfect for that. Absolutely yeah, totally. perfect for that. Yep. Um, but yeah. <gasps> all exciting. Very exciting. Oh, well, yeah. you'll have to have us back so we can then chat where are you up to, yes. what's happening next. <laughs> yes. And all the listeners will be pestering you each time you're on. What are you doing now? <laughs> can, the question is, can you put a bathtub in there? Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Can I put a bathtub out the back? <laughs> totally. You can put a bathtub anywhere. It needs yep. to be a nice cast iron bathtub. And you either need to use a camping hot water system or have plumbed hot water to it. All right, we'll talk later. And some privacy screening trees. (laughs) Just go in your bathers. It's okay. (laughs) Yes, so the listeners, keep tuning in for my garden journeys in my new house. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Um, We must get to a caller. Um, Anne from Northcote, welcome and thank you for waiting. How are you? Hello, good morning. Thanks. I'm happy to wait. It was interesting. Good to hear about the new house. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to get back to the fruit fly situation. So yeah. I'm in really Fairfield, actually, but, you know, Northcote, Fairfield, all yep. the same issues. And I've got two open um, compost bins that I made myself very proud of them. So, you know, um, compost, and then I move it across to the next one. And, you know, I've only got two, not three, but two's good. Now, so open compost bins, I think, are a little bit of a threat um in the fruit fly department. So, Bronwyn, what what do you think? Um, I, I think your compost bins to... are totally fine. It's what you put in them that matters. So your oh, composting process is fine. Your um, The hotter the better with compost normally. Mm, mm. Um, if you have a littered opportunity, that might be an idea, mm. but it's not going to affect the, the Queensland fruit fly population or problem. It, it's more about what you put in it. So a Queensland fruit fly pregnant female is not going to come down to your compost bin and lay eggs in your compost bin. They're more likely to go and lay their eggs on perfectly good fruit that's hanging on the tree or growing on the, on the, the vine or the bush in your garden. So mm-hmm. if you think about the time frame that the Queensland fruit fly egg and larvae needs to mature in that sound piece of fruit, it's the, it's the female Queensland fruit fly's best idea to go and put her eggs in in that sound fruit 
So you have to protect what's on your tree or in your garden. But if your treated produce or your fully decomposed composting process is happening, that's fine. So just don't put, for example, freshly fallen stuff off your tree that could have fruit fly in it. Don't put that in the compost. That needs treating. But the rest of all your garden clippings and all your composting process is totally fine. You're probably likely to get... Uh, vinegar flies or compost flies around your compost heap. That's perfect. Again, sorry. You probably like to get vinegar flies or compost flies yeah. around your compost heap. They're yep. totally fine. They look uh, and behave very differently to the Queensland fruit fly. So if you want to know the difference between those two, the Queensland fruit fly is about seven or eight mil long. It's the Hawthorne Football Club colours. So it's that reddy brown colour in the body and it's got yellow stripes on it yellow shoulder pads so it's very different in size and in looks to your compost fly so compost flies are perfectly normal queensland fruit flies are what we're going to prevent excellent so they don't come down for the sugars that would be naturally in the um composting vegetables say i generally don't put fruit in there but i put all apple cores i get organic apples i buy organic apples and i put that sort of stuff in there, um, but generally it's it's more veg and it's more garden yeah. refuse. As as a general rule, your household scraps before they go in the compost, put them in the bag, throw them in the freezer, and then just have a cycle. So as you put fruit into the freezer or veggie scraps into the freezer, take your mm. frozen bag out and put that into your compost bin. So as a habit, just make sure that that stuff's frozen before it goes out to your compost bin, so you're not introducing new pests to your compost mm. heap but yeah. as far as the the fruit fly that are in the area they're not likely to come to your compost thank you that's great awesome glad to be of help thanks Bye-bye. all right thanks Anne. all the best and um, good thanks. luck Bye. um all right. Uh, we had a text message come in. Thank you to the person that messaged. It's the ballerina apples are the variety of column <coughs> apples That's it. that I was Bingo. that was not coming to. That, our I mind. know, isn't it funny when you want something to come to your head? It doesn't <laughs> yes. appear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so all they're right. the they're the easiest to grow in your garden and then have a netting structure over. And that will help them with the codling moth and the other pests and diseases yeah. as well. So netting helps with so many other pests. Mainly, mainly pest issues, but you do need to do it at the right time. You don't want to do it before your fruits get pollinated. That's yes. right. So it's got to go on after the after the bees have been. Yeah. When those fruitlets are just really small and hard and green, that's yep. when it goes on. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I've got a frog. <laughs> that's a good thing in your garden, well, not in your throat. And you know what, though? The frogs that I can hear in my na- nearby creek at the moment are oh. going nuts. Yeah, that's that's La Nina. Is, that's that I know. warm, humid weather that we're experiencing and promoting fruit fly. But it is it is good for the frogs. It is. It's beautiful for the frogs. You hear them when you're sitting in your bathtub? Uh, yeah, I can do. If people don't know, I have an outdoor bathtub in my backyard. <laughs> That's what all this conversation is about. Um, and I highly recommend an outdoor tub in your backyard. Yeah, uh, It's just such a beautiful way to sit out. I love sitting in there. I'll go in there at winter time. Yep. Nice hot water, nice bubble bath, glass of red wine and a book. And I'll sit in the tub and you get so warm yep. and toasty. Immersed in your garden. Exactly. And you sit there and I watch the sunset and it's just beautiful. Yep. 
um, you know, it's a lot easier than putting in a, a spa or a swimming pool and you can pick up the cast iron bathtubs for next to nothing on, you know, Marketplace and eBay and Gumtree and stuff. And you probably don't need to have all those council permits for a bathtub exactly. it's never got water in it. No, it does. It, water never stays in it permanently and I've got a piece of flexible Aggie pipe connected to the drain. Oh, so you're watering your garden. Yeah, so when I pull the plug out, I literally grab the end of the hose <clears throat> and because what I've cleverly done is put the bathtub at the highest point in my garden, Well done. gravity sucks, um, <laughs> and so the water goes wherever I want it to with that little flexi yaggy pipe. So awesome. it's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, Chloe, have you had many questions about um, fruit and veggie gardening? gardening well, how do you how do you answer all those questions oh yeah I do get a lot of questions um and look I, I definitely answer dms on instagram and things like that but I, I also cover fruit and veggie growing in sprout school yep um and I give people those understandings of like what Chloe's dealing with the new garden bed yeah. where she needs you know where do I put my veggie bed where do I put my fruit trees um <clears throat> so I really help people get that understanding um, I've had a number of Sprout School students, you know, finish Sprout School and build their first veggie bed and they send me beautiful photos of their veggie beds overflowing with produce and they're overjoyed that I could grow this. <laughs> That's what I love about the com- like the components of your Sprout School is like the modules that you run, it, it sets people up with the framework yep. and gives them the information to make the decisions in the different situations that people are in. Yep. So it's like this is, this is what aspect is about. Yep. This is what fertilisers are about these are the types that you need for yeah. whatever different you know situation yeah totally and I mean the thing is the modules are recorded so you can sit down and watch the lessons in your own time but then we have weekly live Q&A's so I was going to say do you have a community that people exactly. can come back to and talk about yes that's probably one of the things about gardening is to have that recall yes of, of something that happened a couple of years ago because we, we started talking about La Nina before yeah. And, and, well, gardening's different in La Nina years, yes. com, you know, oh. compared to drought Tomatoes years. don't ripen. <laughs> <laughs> or they get powdery mildew or they fungal problems. Or they get Queensland fruit fly. Oh, I think yes. everyone planted tomatoes over COVID or, or fruit in their garden over COVID, not knowing that La Nina was also happening and fruit fly was emerging as a pest. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like, bang. Yep. But how can people get in touch with your gardening community, do they enrol in Sprout School and then they can start that Illumini discussion or where <coughs> yes. do they go back to? So, yeah, you can do Sprout School. Um, I'm also started – I've got so far about 25 people in a membership program called Sprout Squad, which is mm. essentially that ongoing support. The Illumini. The alum- yes, that's it. Most of those people in there are Sprout School graduates. There are a few who aren't, but it's essentially someone who wanted – access to a horticulturalist on a regular basis, someone who needs that that advice. Mm. I've got a a girl in there at the moment and she's redoing her front yard. So I reckon every second day she posts up, what should I do with this? What's that? Mm. Um, I'm thinking of this plant here. Does that work? And she she gets lots of different opinions. (laughs) Sometimes they're very similar. So she gets my opinion, she gets the rest of the community's opinion. Um, and it's a great way to learn from each other as well. So I'm really hoping to grow that membership because I find there is that real need for... I think it's missing. It's missing. Mm. And people send me a DM and they're like, really sorry to ask this. And I'm yeah. like, look, I'm totally fine to ask it. If you send me a DM every day asking me a question, I probably won't yeah. answer you. You can't always <laughs> go to your nursery because there's not always a trained or experienced person there. Sometimes it's just a salesperson. And Absolutely. They're not there to advise you on which plant to buy and how to look after it or what the problem is. Yep. The Department of Agriculture is very focused on production horticulture and so yep. they don't necessarily reach out to backyarders. 
the council programs are just starting to dabble in this sustainability and local food production, but they're not experts. Yep. They, they need people to come in. Mm. It's very hard to go and find a gardening expert yeah. to help you. Mm. It doesn't cost the bomb. Yep. So that's why I think gardening communities and these discussion groups are absolutely awesome because yep. we do hold the knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Someone does. Yep. Someone yeah. holds it. Yep. That's, and, and if I don't know, then I go and find out. I know where to find it. Yes. You know, that's what's handy that's, as well. That's a community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's, there's gardening clubs and gardening societies that people can get involved in as well. Yeah, I'm part of the Dahlia Society of Victoria. Yeah, you are. Yeah. There's the Australian Plant Society, yeah. Fernie Creek Hort Society. They're in Fernie Creek in the Daniel Ranges, but their members come from everywhere. Yep, totally. And, yeah, there's so many – there's actually so many places around, you know, there Vermont is. Garden Club, Ringwood have a garden club. Yep. And with people who are just willing to share information. They are. And these garden clubs as well, there's such a range of people in them. They're always really welcoming mm. and, you know, happy to have new members. And, again, they don't cost the earth, um, but they're just a great way to get connections. Have you ever had a plot at a community garden? No, I've never had the need. <laughs> but I'd, it'd be fun. Yeah. I went out to the Knox Community Garden and it's huge. Yeah. Oh, Knox is an incredible community of environmental but gardeners as well. Oh, they've all got their plot. They've all Ah, got this wealth of knowledge out there. There's there's lots of different um, cultures and traditions out there and lots of different vegetables in their gardens and fruit on their trees. They're awesome. Yeah, incredible. Uh, We've had a message, question come in via the text line. Uh, Loving the show today. Thank you very much uh, for messaging that comment um, <laughs> could you please explain the difference between a greenhouse a glass house and a nursery oh okay so i would greenhouse and glass house are interchangeable terms they are really if if a hot and a hot house as yeah well, hot house is sometimes well, they've traditionally been made built out of glass yep. but now we generally use sort of thicker plastic mm-hmm. so that's probably why the I terms think green get is in up. reference to the contents of the heated area, yes, the yeah. artificially heated area, yes, yep. And then nursery—that's a term that can be applied to retail nursery where plants are sold, production nursery where they grow them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or a new baby, in- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nursery has <laughs> a new baby. <laughs> yeah, I know it's quite confusing the way we throw terms around like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it really is. Or how you heat an igloo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, igloos. It's same thing. It's it's the same. Thing. It's a greenhouse or a glass house. Yeah, it's or, an yeah. artificial environment. It's where you have some control over the environment. Yep. Um, we've got igloos at home. My husband's able to heat them, cool them, irrigate yep. them, and exclude pests out of them with mm. his with his special Perfect. pest screen on ah. the door. Yep. Chloe, you've got an epic <laughs> hot house glass house. Glass house. It's actually made of glass. It's glass. Yeah. So it's the cutest little glass house, but it's all made out of completely recycled um, windows and sliding doors. So that was a lockdown project. There was one of those lockdowns where you were like allowed out for 5K so we could get to the local tip shop and you could, you know, go on the local marketplace and sort of see who had, you know, doors lying around there um, out the front and stuff. And so we collected, yeah, front doors, sliding doors, beautiful windows and have made this super cute little glass house. So how do you... Control the temperature inside it. So I don't heat it at all. Yep. So I use it. At the moment, my living room is full of all my seedlings, much to my husband's <laughs> delight. So I have meant like... to be in the glass <laughs> It's still too cold. Still oh, too okay. cold. So they're in the hardening off process at the moment. Yep. Um, but the tomatoes and the flower, I've put some of the flowers out and the peas and things like that and the beans, they're okay. But the tomatoes are still inside being nurtured, but they're out every day and 
in the sunshine and then they're brought back inside at night at yep. the moment. Probably in the next week or two, they'll graduate to the glass house overnight. Okay. So yep. it does stay warm in there, but on these, like this overnight, I think it was got down to three or four where yeah, I am. Yeah, it was am. cold last night. So it can't stay much above 10 degrees, even in the glass house overnight. So. And what about in the summer? How do you... Do you, are you able to cool it when it gets, you know, like a yeah, so direct sun at the, all? Or? The window, the door rather, the glass door opens and I can latch that open and then opposite the glass door there is a window that opens as yep. well. So, so I you've can, got that cross ventilation happening. Yeah, I've got that cross ventilation happening. But it's been great. So over winter I've had a true curry leaf tree in there. Oh, fantastic. Um, I've had a frangipani that's not lost its leaves. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some ginger and some turmeric. I've got my dendrobium orchids sort of in a nice sort of dappled shade back corner and they're flowering their little socks off. Obviously, they don't need to be in there, but it's just a nice spot to put them because of the smell. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what about yeah. avocados in ours? That's a good idea. Yeah. So I could put avocados in. Yeah. What size is yours? Bronwyn? Huge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it must be huge. Not a small pot of no. avocado. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Um, so it's a great one for, you know, glass houses, greenhouses, hot houses. They're great in particularly like these frosty climates to mm. put frost sensitive plants in to keep them frost free over over winter. Yeah, mm. they're great for wind protection as well. Exactly, wind protection, yeah. And because you're growing stuff in pots, you can move them around. You know, yep. the curry tree plant can come out in the summer. Just not over winter. Yep. They're yeah. also great for having a cup of tea or coffee in. I, I have worked out that I could probably also fit like a single air bed in mine. I've often thought about like spending the night out there. What it'd be like. To work out where we're going to put a glass house at, at Chloe's new house. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll start saving you some windows if yeah. we spot some nice ones. Well, I'll send you the floor plan. Okay. <laughs> uh, text messages just come in reminding uh, listeners about the. Uh, Friends of the Melbourne Royal Botanic Gardens have a plant sale next weekend. Ooh. So they always have a huge I've range been to of plants. That one before. It's a treat. They they take cuttings from the plants that are actually in the botanic gardens and further afield and they're very, very well grown. Legally. Yes, legally yeah, take legally. cuttings. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they legally take cuttings. So their plant sale is on next weekend as that well. That is a rare opportunity. Yes. Uh, there is still two of the three um, Open Gardens Victoria garden passes have gone. Uh, the garden pass for uh, the King Garden or King's Garden, sorry, King Garden in Ashburton is still available. So that's the um, modern contemporary garden. It's a younger garden, suburban block um, designed for the family. So you might be able to get some really interesting mm. ideas from that garden Uh if you want to grab the tickets for that, uh, give us a call on 94190155 and chat to Rosie. Uh, you are listening to a 3CR gardening show. If you have any questions, uh, particularly about fruit fly this morning, but anything else garden related, give us a call on 94190155. You can send us a text message 0488809855. And if there's anyone out there that wants to get involved um, with the with the on and off air show um, and become one of our producers, uh, call up and speak to Rosie or you can send us an email, gardening at 3cr.org.au. I've got an FAQ, a frequently oh. asked question. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know that you got fruit fly? Oh. So I'd like to answer that if that's the right time. Um, please. <laughs> An FAQ and a rhetorical cue. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were able to put fruit fly traps up as surveillance in your garden, 
That's one way you can find out if there's fruit fly around before they get to your fruit so that you know that you need to take some action. Yep. So there's lots of different types of fruit fly traps out on the market. And I thought I'd just touch on what's what because there's some fruit fly traps out there that attract male Queensland fruit flies and only male Queensland Sorry, fruit boys. flies. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I love the names of those, the mat, they call them mat, mat cups or mat techniques. Uh, slightly different. Okay. Same lure, same attractiveness, right. but when it's mat, it's like mat stands for mass annihilation technique. Yes. <laughs> So to the boys. The mass annihilation mass of the boys. Male is the other term. Male annihilation technique yeah. is what yeah. I've heard. Yeah, male. It, yeah, but it is in reference to on on mass. Yeah, like yes. it's it's, and they can get other insects as well, I believe. Only those that are really attracted yeah. to the lure. Okay. So the the lure in these male attracting traps or the mat cups is exclusive to the Queensland fruit fly. It's so specific, and so the male Queensland fruit fly will go there. And the idea is that he won't make it out, so Mm. therefore he doesn't breed. But when we use them in a trap in their gardens in outer eastern Melbourne, say, or or actually anywhere. Anywhere, (laughs) yep. (laughs) But I'm I'm referencing eastern Melbourne because I know that it's an emerging problem. Um, If you can find a Queensland fruit fly in your male Queensland fruit fly trap, you know that there's going to be females around somewhere else. Mm. And you know that you've got now got a problem that you didn't have before. Mm. So that's when you know to go for your netting and your bait and extra extra effort on your garden hygiene. But then another, there's another type of trap and it's called a protein trap. And that's actually based on what the fruit fly eat. Yeah. So that fruit fly trap that's got the protein in it is exceptionally attractive to females who are virgin females or yet to become pregnant because they're stocking up on heaps of protein because in their lifetime, they're going to have nearly 2,000 eggs. Whoa. So she needs a lot of protein to make all of those eggs. Mm. So she is what we normally find in protein traps. Obviously, the males need sustenance as well. They'll go there as well. Yeah. But protein traps can be put up a little bit more um, in higher density in your garden because the, the volatiles off that protein don't travel as far as that male lure that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to suggest that in anyone's garden, they put up at least one male lure trap mm. and maybe two or three protein traps just for surveillance. Mm. Now, there's a bit of a myth that fruit fly traps don't stop fruit flies getting to my fruit. Yeah. Well, that's right. They don't stop all of the fruit flies. They only catch the fruit flies that come to the trap. Mm. So traps are best used as an indicator of either whether you have got a problem or you haven't, or if you do have fruit flies around and there's increasing numbers in your fruit fly traps, you know that your problem's getting worse and you need to do more about it. But if you do have fruit fly around and your numbers are getting less, well, it means what you're doing is working. So fruit fly traps are out there. They're the best way of finding out whether you have a problem or not, particularly in areas where fruit fly is emerging. Yeah, but they're more a surveillance technique than a control, full-blown control. But they can be part of a whole range of things that you implement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, but that's where you start Yeah, because a lot of people haven't seen fruit fly before, they're not aware that they've got it, well, they're not aware seen that it's around. Have yeah. you spoken about what they actually look like? Yeah, I spoke about that when you were ducked out before. Oh, <laughs> you got me. Good. No, that's but good. They are seven, seven or eight mil long, they're ready brown in colour, They don't stripes. look like a typical housefly or a no, butterfly. No, yeah. no. And they've got their two yellow stripes on the back and yellow shoulder pads and uh, I often say they look like Hawthorne Football Club supporters. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good analogy. Yeah. 
And they're much bigger than the compost flies that are around fruit bowls and composts. Yeah. 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 Now, before someone texts in and asks, what about these traps? Where do you get them? Can you make them? Yeah, there's heaps of different ways you can get them. You can get them online. You can get them at Mm -hmm. your garden centre. If they're not at your garden centre, please ask your garden centre staff to get them in. It is a resource that we need to have available. Mm -hmm. And particularly when it's like, oh, oh, yeah, I've got to put it out. I need it now. And you can't wait for your online order. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You can make your own, but you can't make your own male lure fruit fly traps, but you can make your own female or or protein-based traps. And there are recipes online. Mm Mm-hmm. They do include often a common ingredient Vegemite ah, or yeast extract. Yeast extract, yeah. So yeah. It's, the, it's because they live off those yeast extracts and those funguses and microbes and all of that forest floor kind of flora yep. that that's why the, the yeast extract in a trap is a bit like, a bit like a fast food or easy takeaway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very attractive to them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we do have another fruit fly-related question. Um, Marion from Northcote, good morning. Oh, no. She's gone. She's gone. Sorry about that. Call back. Um, All right, there's a couple of text messages, questions that have come in. So the listener that asked about the greenhouses, glasshouses, uh, they've got a follow-up question. What is the best aspect for a greenhouse? Where do you put your igloos, Bron? We don't put them in the full sun because they get too hot. Yeah. So um, particularly glass, that ones that can't be cooled in the summer, that's why I was asking you about your mm. cooling before. So I would say an easterly aspect. Mm. But wherever you put it, I think the best thing you can do is look at your structure and your frame to see if you can put maybe shade cloth over your greenhouse or glass yep. house for, for part of the year to take the really harsh heat out yeah yeah totally so mine is on the south side of a tree so it gets protection from the hot northern afternoon sun yep but it's a skinny rectangle and essentially it runs east west yeah yeah the best thing to do is put a thermometer in there yep Mm. i've got a thermometer in there and just observe it because it's so pleasant to be working in a greenhouse on on those really cold i go out there to sow seeds because it's nice Yeah, Yeah. nice and warm, but it is quite overwhelming in the heat of the summer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you need that door open or that ventilation happening or shade cloth. So stick a thermometer in. I think where you put your greenhouse kind of depends on on where you're allowed to put it. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Either councils or husbands or (laughs) neighbours. But put it it where you can, but um, check that you can put that infrastructure over the top, that shade cloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I hope that's been helpful. Um, I think Marion has come back to line eight. Hello, Marion. Hello, good morning. How are you? How are you? We're good, we're good. Enjoying your show. It's so constructive and oh, thank so you. wonderful. Good. And, yeah, I'm from an orange-growing area and we used to always have to um, – we'd be a child eating a piece of fruit and if we crossed the bridge into Victoria, we had to give up our fruit yeah. uh, <laughs> at, the, at the Fruit Fly Sentinel. Yeah. So my question today is, so I've replaced my crummy old nets with the nice fine nets that won't damage the wildlife. Great work. So that'd be a five mil by five mil aperture with the netting, is that correct? Yeah, it's very fine. So that's, I'm going to have that to go onto the fruit trees. I've had this other problem with um, all these little birdies. They want to generate more generations of birdies and they have pulled up my garlic, they pull up any veg that I put out, right? So I've been using the, um, the, the ugly wire 
um, drawer type things. Oh yeah. But I'm wondering, I could could I use my net, which I've got there ready? Could I net over the veg, or would that restrict the light too much? Oh, look, I net over my veg. Mm. I do it to keep the possums out. And what I do is I use some rather thick um, either plumber's pipe or PVC pipe and I put it in a – so I've got one metre by one metre veggie beds and I put that pipe in a cross over the veggie beds and then I put some D-hooks so that I can slide the pipe into that. It's very hard to describe on radio. Um, (laughs) But I slide the pipe into that. So you end up with this black cross sitting over my veggie bed and then I put the net over that and then I'm able to put some little nails on the side of my veggie bed and peg it down so that it's taut so that, yeah, wildlife don't get caught in it but it also keeps my veggies safe from my possums they're my big nemesis yeah and obviously that netting can also then protect from queensland fruit fly as well well not the five mil not the five mil but the finer one that i have yeah so veggie mesh which is a two mil by two mil will protect from queensland fruit fly but it's a bit of a shame a lot of people have gone out and bought the correct wildlife netting to protect their both the wildlife Mm. and their produce Mm. from the wildlife Mm. But yep. that 5 mil by 5 mil netting is not Queensland fruit fly or insect mesh. Mm. So that, that's, you sort of have to work out, or what are you protecting against? And I think if you go to the 2 mil by 2 mil or something that fine, yep. Um, yep. you probably need to look at, at structure and strength as well. Yeah, there's a 3 by 1 sort of crosshatchy one. It's I've a bit stronger. As well. yeah. It's a bit stronger, but it does need structure and yep. pulling taut to get the correct little hole right so that the insects don't get in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I will I will have enough light and I've got yep. some of those clothes errors. I think they sort of spontaneously generate around Northcote. So I've got <laughs> um, <laughs> those, those clothes errors. So I'll sort of just um, ah. drape it over those. Yeah. Oh, and um, old swing sets. Oh, yes. They're good for netting structures. Yeah. Or yep. trampolines, trampolines on the yeah. side, so they'll hold net up as well. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. No and worries. Thanks, no worries. Marion. Bye. Bye. Uh, another listener has texted in reminding us about the Kevin Hines Grow Spring Fair. It's next Saturday, the 15th of October from 9 till 3. Uh, at their Doncaster and Coburg locations, Weatherby Road in Doncaster and 512 Sydney Road in Coburg. Uh, You'll be able to buy fruit trees, veggie seedlings, um, heirloom tomatoes, um, homemade cakes and preserve. There's a barbecue there as well um, and a live band playing. So that's the Kevin Hines Grow Spring Fair next Saturday. Fantastic. Lots of things happening in springtime. It is. There's definite buzz in the air. Yeah. And I think there's actually almost a competing interest in shows out there because I've been trying to get people to help me on my pest ID element to my tent yeah. at the plant fair mm. in November. Um, oh, but I can't come. I'm going to be at this rose show. I'm going to be at <laughs> like, oh, my God, I have to choose where I'm going to go. Yeah, you do. I think that's what two years of lockdown does yeah. as well. Everyone's like, right, where can I go? Ready to go. <laughs> I've got this unruly garden. I need to know how to tame it. Where, where can I go? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and I have Chloe Thompson and Bronwyn Cole in the studio with me this morning. We're here till quarter past nine, so if you have any questions about gardening, but particularly about fruit fly, the Queensland fruit fly this morning, give us a call on 94190155 or you can text message us on 0488 809 855.
Let's talk about another species of plant that you brought oh, in, yes. Chloe. So I have brought in this beauty. Now, this is only half the stem height, but the stem I'm holding in front of you, uh, Chloe and Bron, has, and everyone else who can't see, mm. has these beautiful arching what would you call them, grass heads on the end of it? Plumes. Plumes. A plume. Um, so this is golden oat grass um, and I have three of them in my garden. The very first time I saw them was actually at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne and it was just one of those days where all the flowers were in bloom and I was watching these huge, tall, like six-foot-tall grass heads sway in the wind and I thought, oh, my gosh, I need that. Uh, so they have a lovely golden colour and they um, shoot up at this time of the year. They'll grow up to about five to six foot tall uh, and then they bronze off over summer. So they're actually dormant over mm. summer uh, and then you cut them back and they come back again and again. Uh, just a really lovely plant for movement. Mm-hmm. Very soft, very delicate, but it's got that lovely golden colour as it bronzes off. That's what I love about Ornamental grasses oh, in a garden, the movement. So I'll never stop talking about it. That one's stunning. Isn't and it stunning? they get really big. That's it, really tall. So I've got this sort of, you know, you can put it at the back. Yeah. And yet it still becomes a whoa. It's probably you know. a really good replacement for the old pampas grass. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to get that height and to get that movement. Yeah, yeah, totally. What it, what sort of soil and aspect have you got it growing I've in? I've got this on a northerly aspect and it's in my crappy standard virgin soil. So. And I don't do anything to it and I barely water it. So, so is it tough as old boots? Clumping? Is it spreading? It's clumping. It, clumping? Yeah, the clumps can get up to, I'm fairly sure it's up to a metre in diameter at the base. So the clump can get quite big. Um, mine aren't there yet because yep. they're only, what, three years old. Um, but yeah, nice clump, um, soft fine leaves on it, not, you know. I'd rather be looking at that than a fence. (laughs) Uh, Yes, exactly. Rather this than a fence and, as Chloe said, rather this than a pampas grass. Yep. Um, Actually, you know what, speaking of pampas grasses, we were in Ireland um, in June and July this year for a family holiday. My husband's Irish. And he said that apparently pampas grasses, if they're planted out the front of the house, it was an indication that the members of the house were swingers. So there you go. It might change your mind if you have a pampas grass out the front of your house. Unless you're into that, it might make you question putting one in your garden. It might. Or if, you know, people suddenly start randomly knocking at your door and you've got a pampas grass out the front of your house, (laughs) that could be why. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Another reason not to plant them. (laughs) When you brought that in this morning, I thought it was one of the native ostrostipers. It's... from what you've just said now, though, it's not as our, our Indigenous one isn't as big okay, as that yep. one, but it's Ostrostipa elegantissima, mm-hmm. and the flower head just is this like fluffy white, goldeny, plumy Ooh. thing. And when they're on mass, it is it is quite incredible. Nice, yeah, Ooh, yeah. So you can get that from local. That. <laughs> <laughs> you can get that from yeah local nurseries. Vink has them. Yep. Um, down the road in Fairfield and. Probably a couple of others. It's it's one of the more western ostrostipers. They okay. really like a dry environment. Oh, yeah. I have to go via there. You might. <laughs> yes. I think it'd be worth it. Yeah, because yeah. I thought my garden has a section which I call my grassland. Yeah. And they're in my little grassland. So nice. I think I'd like to add those in. Yeah. I've uh, got the native plume grass in there as well. Yeah. The, ele- oh, uh, the elegant is a. I'm surprised that it's not in horticulture more. Mm. It is so dang underrated. Mm. Um, and yeah, when they're planted on mass, they're absolutely beautiful. And ostracipers, you put them in and you don't water them. Yeah. That's, and I'm sure that 
I was just looking up the name of that. I think its old name is Stiper. Oh. It's been renamed, oh, but it's probably course. still got similar cultivation requirements of yeah. And obviously, where it is in your place, yeah. it doesn't need much. No, I'm um, like my whole grassland. I planted that for set and forget. Mm. Um, it's got powers in there, so obviously, once a year they get hacked back down to the ground. If you've got powers that look miserable, it's probably because you're not hacking them off each year. You know, mm. hack them back to the ground. I use a, an old pruning saw. Oh, the video that you posted on Instagram recently was fantastic. Showing yeah. people how to do it because that's how it needs to be done. Yeah, be mean. My yeah. dad even uses his flame weeder on them. Like, be mean to them yeah. and they come back. Uh, the team at Melton Botanic Gardens um, have burnt some sections of a couple of grassland beds that they've got to yep. sort of just deal with the size yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The power labs just, yeah, they adore it. Mm. So, yeah. No, I like it. And it's just that lovely movement. And where I've got the grassland, if I sit in my tub, the sun <laughs> sets behind the grassland and you've oh, got, you know, it's lovely. just, I didn't even think about that when I put the tub where it was, but it's like, oh. <laughs> I, for a, a subject this semester, um, in semester one this year, we planted a Victorian volcanic plains grassland oh. in one of the, created a new garden bed on campus. Yeah, um, we got most of our species from Vink, so indigenous to um, the Victorian volcanic plains bioregion, mm-hmm. and sort of you know a bit wider in Melbourne. The Ostrostiper elegantissima was one of the ones that we put in, and it was a, took us a while to get them established okay. because we put them in at the end of summer autumn as they're about to go into dormancy. Yep. Plus, it's a little bit shadier than what they like, okay. and the soil's probably a little. It's not irrigated, probably a bit a little bit moister, um, but they're just starting to take off now and that whole garden bed is starting to take off and it's just really look, starting to look like a grassland awesome. bed with patches of oh, sort of dominant species pretty. and little wildflowers in it. Really Managed pretty. to get some trigger plants flowering and the paper daisies as well are going off. Oh, Zero chrysums. Yes. Yep. Yep. Love Thanks. me some of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. So, yeah, no, uh, grasslands are, you know, underrated style of planting I think. Mm, yeah and you know people don't have to do a whole grassland no. just having that little patch of three five plants and you get that lovely little bit of movement you get that lovely bronzing off you know the, at the moment oh, the power yeah. labs are you know bright green and they haven't got any um you know um seed heads on them but obviously as th- summer progresses it's kind of like a deciduous tree in that respect you know you've got that life cycle that's just mm. lovely to watch yeah yeah absolutely this is the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and I have Chloe Thompson and Bronwyn Cole in the studio with me this morning. We're here till quarter past nine, so give us a call on 94190155 or send us a text message on 0488 to join in the show this morning. Bronwyn, you brought in a couple of different pamphlets or brochures this mm-hmm. morning. They look really good. One of them is particularly shiny and useful, I think. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So this was produced by, um, well, pulled together by Karen Thomas when she was Port Phillip and Western Port CMA. She now works in the same project but with Melbourne Water. And her role is a regional agriculture facilitator and a lot of her projects focus on beneficial insects, native pollinators, and it's actually seen a bit of a resurgence at the moment because of the varroa mite um, introduction ah. to honeybees in New South Wales. And it's made people really think, oh, that's right, there was a resource. There was some information about native 
insects and native pollinators and those the benefit benefits of all of that. So I brought in this brochure today to share around. It's called Common Pollinator and Beneficial Insects of Victoria. Mm-hmm. And it's got some fantastic photos and it's it's built as a field guide so that it's it's cardboard, it's glossy, it's robust. It's going to actually do really well in your in your garden shed. Yeah. So that when you're out and your hands are a bit dirty from <laughs> mucking in the garden, you can actually pull this out and it's a quick guide about all those insects that you might see in your garden and you can helpfully hopefully identify them. How would people get a copy, bro? Well, they can come see me at the plant fair. Oh, yes, they <laughs> that. have boxes of them at the plant fair. Um, I believe it's actually downloadable. Ah. So it's obviously not going to be hardy and, and glossy in this cardboard field guide. But, that's okay. but you, the, the images are donated and by various people in that insect community. And the images are spectacular. Yeah. Beautiful, oh, beautiful Karen, close-ups. Karen really strolled through all the different images that are available and what yeah. people had and she's compiled it together in this most amazing brochure and um yeah if they wanted to come out to the plant fair i'll be having um lots of them there because that that's why we're doing a lot of our pest management education mm. is is really to protect these good guys yep insect biodiversity is a, a bigger topic than Huge. what we're talking about today mm. and a few different things but it is sort of overarching a lot of what we do all the different gardens we build the management strategies we use for our pests we have to be mindful of these good guys because some of these guys can get out there and do some pollinating of the flowers and fruit and veggies that we so rely on honeybees to do yeah and if if varroa does mm. expand yep and mm. if varroa is not eradicated we are going to be seriously short on food supply mm. and that's a big a big push to have local food production in our backyards thriving because we're gonna we're gonna need that food source i think gardening in its in its mental health yep. aspect is absolutely fantastic but it's that community and insect biodiversity that's gonna keep pollinating our home gardens yeah. and maybe even our commercial production if we can get enough diversity in there mm. And it's, I think, something that we really should value. It's something that we are getting better at. I've seen a rise in it in the last few years of people becoming um, interested in using their garden as a habitat refuge or as a place for insects, not just as a place to grow, you know, something that's sort of sterile and ornamental. Mm. People are definitely, you know, waking up to, oh, yeah, I I want to introduce some, I have some cool animals, insects. You just look at the population of, of people that are keeping bees. Yeah. There used yeah. to be a couple of thousand beekeepers in Victoria. Yeah. There's now over 12,000 right. beekeepers Yikes. in Victoria. Wow. And a lot of them are in peri-urban environments because they want to bring bees back to the burbs. Yeah. Yep. So it, wow. it, people are really recognising the value of pollinating insects. Yep. And the value that their garden provides as that safe haven. Mm, for sure. And Can, just the, the benefits of increased biodiversity in a garden are yeah. just the reasons are endless. Yeah. So yeah. If, You've just mentioned a whole heap of them. Yeah. But yeah. If, if we get Queensland fruit fly here mm. and, and people elect to use a broad spectrum cover spray mm-hmm. to kill Queensland fruit fly, all of the work that we put into our yeah. different gardens and our insect biodiversity and our pollinators and our ben- beneficial insects, that's all gone. That's just scary. Mm. And, and I think that's too valuable to let go. Yep. 
So I'm, I'm very much prevent Queensland fruit fly before we get to that point mm. of having to, mm. to mass treat it. Yeah, prevention for so many other pests and disease issues and just other things in life is so much better than, than trying to find a, a cure. Like if you can prevent something, yep. you know, just yep. human health, eat yep. well, exercise. Yep. So it's Look about a, the, the ratio is about a, a one dollar investment for a hundred dollars of return in prevention strategies for pests. Wow. Get to the the asset management end of the scale, a one dollar investment is only going to be like a five dollar return. Yeah. So the the money invested and and that's time and money, not mm-hmm. just money. Time and money invested into that prevention, it is so much better. Mm. And you know ways you can increase pollinators into your garden is by putting in lots of different species of plants, lots of different cultivars, things that flower throughout the year. Yep, having that look around and going, hang on, there's nothing flowering Mm. this week, this month. Yep. Um, You know, late winter flowers, the the philotheque is amazing for late winter flowers. Um, Yeah, really making sure that something flowers constantly in your garden. Building insect hotels for kids. Insect hotels, yeah. Having, you know, I've got gabion walls where I've got, you know, lizards and skinks and we've got a resident... Um, blue-tongue lizard that he lives in there. Um, and we have, our, I call them my little snail patrol. We have kookaburras that come and sit up on the fence <laughs> posts and watch me garden. Throw me a snail. Yeah. <laughs> I piff them a snail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's lots so of things that we There's can... so many different things that go into that biodiversity of a garden. It's your own little ecosystem. And, and being mindful gardeners, mm. you can have an element of control. You can have a, a balance to achieve that balance between what you're growing, the productivity, and then what lives in your garden yep. and what lives in your neighbour's garden Yes, mm. down the street. Mm. Yep. Um, yeah, And that's why I think it all comes back to community gardening groups and mm. um, that sustainability and that good good attitude towards gardening yep. and looking at its benefits. Yeah, it's, it's good for everything. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've had another text message come in, a uh, listener called Sue. Um, can we suggest some native grasses with plumes that are about a metre uh, or that are not so high, about a metre or less? Your POA labs aren't that tall and your native plume grass isn't, yeah, is, is a metre or less. Yeah, so POA labilabiri. I can never get the L's yeah. in the right spot. That's why it's POA labs. POA labil, I call it. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, the the native poas, yeah, um, poa poa formis has quite a nice yeah. flower. It's a a little bit more upright in its habit too. Yep. But if you're in a dry spot, the ostrostipers that we we're just talking about before, yeah, the elegantissima species I mentioned. But if it's you might be able to find wherever you are, so you might be able to find a species of ostrostiper that's particularly indigenous to your um your region, your suburb. Um, they, there's quite a number of species that grow. Throughout Melbourne, the is it, wallaby grass. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do I say kangaroo or a wallaby grass? Because I think they're not the same plant. No, no, so they're not. The yeah. wallaby grass are called Rhytidosperma now. Yes, they used to be called Ostrodanthonia. Okay, which a lot of people still call them. Yep, but they're Rhytidosperma. R Y T I D O. Yes, sperma. P. Yep, sperma. Yep, sperma. And then the kangaroo grass is the themida. Yes. Yeah. Um, number of uh, yeah, I'd probably be sussing out your local um, indigenous nursery. Yeah, yep. If you want to go, be quite specific. But honestly, anything that grows in Greater Melbourne that's a grass, yep. I think is probably a good, a good option. Yeah. There's a really 
uh, we, we planted it in our grassland bed this year and uh, oh they're just stunning it's the common name is the silky bluegrass. Now, forgive me, I need to Google. Ooh, silky, it sounds beautiful straight up, doesn't oh, it? The silky they bluegrass. They really have this bluey grey, sort of like a fescue colour. Yeah, like a fescue colour. Oh, that sounds um, lovely. Dicanthium cerisium, or c- dicanthium cerisium. Yeah, so D I C H A N T H I U M, dicanthium. Yep. Cerisium, S-E-R-I-C-E-U-M. Its common name is the silky bluegrass. Much and easier to spell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And, <say. laughs> and they've got quite a really standout flower. There's not many other species that are like it. Yeah, and the nice fluffy little heads on them too. Yeah, they're, they're just gorgeous. Yep. Yeah. That's great. Lovely. Lots of options. Lots of options. And there's a number of um, non-native options too of, yeah. of grasses that aren't so weedy. A lot of the miscanthus yeah. are really good and you can get them yep. in different sizes too. Yeah, I've got a couple of miscanthus and the shorter growing ones. Mm. But yeah, yeah, they're nice. Which yeah, you can get from most retail nurseries. Yep. Yep. Good fun. I hope that's been helpful, Sue, and I didn't spurt those things out too quickly. <laughs> Go listen to the podcast replay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, replay on the podcast. Um, is there any plants of yours that we haven't gotten through? Oh, we have one tiny little uh, Zeochrysum viscosum, which is the sticky everlasting daisy. And I know it's gone a bit limp now because it's not been in a vase. Listeners don't need to know They that. don't need to know it's limp, <laughs> though, do they? But it gets its name from its quite actually sticky leaves. So it's got really uh, fine, almost needle-like leaves, and they've got quite a sticky texture to them. But they've got those lovely paper daisies you can probably hear. Lovely little paper daisy flowers. So very similar to the zeochrysums that Chloe mentioned before, Um, but they're smaller, daintier little flowers. Mm. Um, I think they're very cute, very sweet. That's Um, a local species, that one. It is. It's a local species, again, tough as old boots. Um, If it gets too long and lanky, um, I just cut it back and boof, it comes back again. One of my favourite cultivars that's similar to the viscosum species is the lemon princess. Ah, yeah. I think and again, I've seen you that. can cut them back quite hard. They've got more of just like a lemony coloured pale flower yep. in comparison to that one. Yeah, and this They're has really got nice. the lovely yellow flowers. If anyone knows me, I am obsessed with yellow daisies, particularly Australian And yellow, daisies. you're wearing a lovely yellow I'm wearing a bright yellow jumper. <laughs> And they have a long flowering time. Yeah, really long flowering time. Excellent cut and dried flowers yep. inside as well. They yes. last for they will last for years in a vase. Yep. Yeah, if, they're just if beautiful. If they're dried out properly. Yeah, they're really pretty. Really easy one to grow. It looks lovely with other natives. And it's got quite a dark green foliage, even if it is needle-like as well. Um, so it does look nice if you pop it next to greys and silvers for that pop. Mm. Mm, pretty. Very, very beautiful. I know. Now my desk is covered in flowers and bits. (laughs) Um, I bought a little plant this morning, or it's not so little, and people Mm. think that it's going to be a lot more little than what it ends up being. So it's one of the acacia cognatas, the weeping um, droopy ones, Uh, likely the mini cog cultivar, Mm. this plant. the, la- the plant labels will tell you that they are about a metre by a metre. Yep. But I've seen them get up to two and a half, close yeah, to three metres. at one stage they were one metre by one <laughs> yeah. metre. Yeah, so they te- the label's technically correct. In the third that. year <laughs> of their growth. They and then were. they went, shoom. Yeah. Um, we just look- took a heap out this year and oh. thrown them on the bonfire because we have a, a big pruning, pruning bonfire going. Mm. Yep. Large acreage, we can do that. But they go up like. Pretty well. Right. Yeah. Yes. They have a 
beautiful smell, the foliage. I love they it. They do. Yeah. Um, and you can smell them when when it's been raining when yes. you walk past them. Yeah. Beautiful. You can prune them back quite hard. So you if need you to. Do, yeah. They're better off if they – it looks weird, but if you prune them lightly from a young age to keep them to that compact green shape. Um, but if you do come across one that has gotten out of control – you can prune them back into older wood and okay. they do reshoot. They look a little bit weird for a while, yep. but then you can tip prune them lightly mm. um, from then on. Yep. We thought we'd gotten rid of some. But because you kept coming back. They're a pretty funny. strong, it's a pretty strong species, Acacia cognata, and it yeah. is a really varied species too. Yeah. There's some tree forms that you can get, then there's the smaller growing ground covery prostrate, yep. in inverted commas. Um, forms and ones with broader leaf. I love the ones mm. with the copper tips. You can get the ones with the really wiggly leaves. Yeah. Like they look like spaghetti almost. I think so. I think that's called fettuccine <laughs> Oh, or there something. you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we love the, the lime, the bright lime colour yeah. of those yes. in our garden. Yeah. Yeah. They're beautiful colour. They're quite popular in the landscape industry and they just add a nice pop of light green yeah, to your garden. Yeah, it is that vibrance and that really refreshing colour mm. yeah. to, to the often up comes out in spring with it so you're looking at all those dreary dreary winter days but then yep. there's the brightness of that with those mm. summer thunderstorms that are just starting yeah, yes sure there's summer thunder just starting hello lanina <laughs> welcome back um, we've oh, yeah. got to to finish up the show this morning we've got a question uh from a listener uh, how do you dispose of leaf curl I'm going to assume it's peach leaf curl. The lady has sprayed, but there's still some leaf curl remaining. How do you dispose of it? Well, that's a prevention is better than cure question if I've ever had one. Yes. Yes. So we'll, we'll get past the fact that it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think you're meant to leave it in your garden at all. No. I think it is the painstaking pick it and burn it or pick it and bag it. In, in, in areas where you can't burn stuff to get rid of that kind mm. of disease – Definitely bin it and bag it. Yeah. 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 And you can pick off any infested leaves and new ones will grow back that often aren't infested. Yeah, because yeah, they don't have that those environmental conditions or yeah. that, those weather conditions to promote it. I managed to control... Um, peach leaf curl on my peach tree at my old place by it was from it was a lockdown project. Pick, I, I had a dwarf tree, so I was able to, but picking off yep. all of the curly leaves. Yep. And I ended up getting a fruit crop. Yep. Again. Yeah. That, that didn't because it got so the, the leaf curl got so severe that the fruit started rotting That's it. as well. Yeah, it'll impact so it wasn't the fruit. just the curly leaves. Yeah. Um, I had to I had to put it in the bin though, and you do need to rake up the foliage when the plant drops it at the end of at the end of the season yeah, to yeah, get rid of any fruit that's dropped. Yep. So that that prevention is the use of those copper sprays mm. over the winter. Yeah. One at leaf fall. Yeah. A, one in the middle of winter, the stronger one, yep. and then one just on bud break yeah. and yeah. coming into spring. But if if you haven't been able to do that, it has been raining a lot and some people haven't got those winter sprays out, yeah, pick them up and collect them. It's painstaking, but it'll yeah. be worth it in the end. There's two products that I use that weren't the copper sprays and I reckon they genuinely were useful. It's the Eco Fungicide product oh. that OCP produce. Okay. And the active ingredient in that is potas- uh, potassium bicarbonate. Yep. 
sodium bicarbonate also works oh. and it just changes the surface apparently just changes the surface ph and makes it inhospitable for the fungus to grow yep. and how our circle of conversation has come back to ph <laughs> yeah <laughs> ph this morning oh my goodness i wish that was planned <laughs> yeah so make the show promos up yeah. <laughs> yeah. um you can apply the eco fungicide and the bi- or the bicarb spray and the bicarb spray is get you know a one liter spray bottle Mm -hmm. and you know a heaped tablespoon of bicarb in it that's all I did and I probably sprayed it maybe once a week or every second week and you can do that during this during the fruiting season as well in case there's any active spores around but definitely over winter and in the lead up you know to um uh leaf burst or bud burst yep um and I genuinely think that it's that was one of the things that helped. But I think that sanitation prevention of picking the leaves off and disposing them in the bin, yep. getting them out of that situation. Yep. You have to physically break the cycle. Yep. And a yep. lot of pest and management disease, like harvesting your lemons actually gives your lemon tree pests and disease yep. a break. Yeah. So make sure you have that period of time where there's no lemons on your lemon tree. Mm. Make sure you do do that sanitation in your garden. So that everything's yeah. got a chance to get back in balance. You often see grapefruit trees in front yards with like laden with grapefruits because no one really eats them. Yeah, don't but grow them. Don't, yeah. don't, don't, them. A, don't grow them and pull them out because of a fruit fly take control. Them off. Take but them off. take the fruit off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. take the fruit off. Get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. Let the tree do give them whatever. to your local fruit and veg so that they can check, sell them. Yeah. Check them first. Check yes. them first. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of charities that will collect excess produce. Um, what's the one in Collingwood? Share, 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 share harvest. Yes. Um, food bank. I know. Do the same. Food bank. Do the same. Great idea. Yeah. But of course, as Bron said, just do your check first. Um, and the good thing is a lot of these places will often take it and turn it into marmalade yeah. or turn it into stewed fruit, the hopefully Darab- without the Darabin added protein. Fruit squad. Darabin Fruit Squad. Yes, yep. that's another one. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for sure. But grow what you can harvest. Yeah. Don't yes. grow anymore. Yeah. No, there's no point. Just grow what you can use. Yep. And if you've got a bit extra, share it around and yeah, there's plenty of places that you can take yeah, it Yeah, but, but that's what you can use. Yeah. Don't don't grow any more than that. Yep. <laughs> and even just keeping fruit trees to a manageable height. I bang on all the time with my students about fruit trees of a manageable height. You don't want to be climbing a ladder. Heck, I broke my arm by standing on my bed to dust the air conditioning unit. And I'm not old, <laughs> so you don't want to be standing on a ladder. No, yeah. There's no yeah. point in growing anything outside of your manageable range yeah. or harvestable yeah. volume. Absolutely. And pick it before it falls. Yes. Yes. We have come to the end of another oh. Sunday morning gardening show. Thank you both. It does go quick, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Thank you both for your time and expertise. That was This has been really lovely, so thank you very much. Um, thank you to Rosie for coming in to do the phones and to Liz who does our socials um, and everyone else involved in keeping this show on air. If you want to be part of it, get in contact with us. Uh, but from there, have a lovely Sunday. We'll be back again at 7.30 next week. See you later. Bye. 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 